Hello and welcome to episode 35 of Your Festa podcast that's all about festivals. I am one of your hosts, Johnny Sharples, and I'm joined as ever and always by my mustachioed co-host, it's Tommy Stewart. Tommy, how are you doing this week? Super smashing, great, fab. Uh, good, very good, mate. How are you? I'm very well. I've got a moustache as well this week, haven't I? It's, uh, yeah, it's like a, a mirror between your lips. It's like, it's not quite a goatee because there's no uh, attachment there. So it's a moustache and then a, a, a chin strap. So I'm making use of Zoom's filters to uh, give my... With a little moustache. cherry on top as well. So he's got a, um, well, little cherry, <laughs> like illuminated cheeks and then a green... What's it called? The the top of it. What's the green part of the cherry called? Leaves. Stem. Stem. Okay, we'll go with that. For anybody that's not listened to this podcast before, <laughs> uh, do you want to give a brief explainer of what it's all about? Yeah, every week we talk about cherries. No, every week we talk about your Dream Festival lineup. Um, it has to be three headline acts, anyone dead or alive, and you'll have to pick a name, days of the week, and a location for said festival and our guest this week is the amazing comedian and fantastic author and star of things like taskmaster and youtube's incredible no more jockeys it's mark watson and he's somebody that we have been wanting to get on this podcast from the minute we started it and we're so excited that we finally got him on board aren't we thomas i'm going to use your worst words in the world he's a your first white whale my friend and we have caught him uh no absolutely buzzing for this like both of us genuinely buzzing and yeah he's he's a lovely man and hilarious uh british comedy legend so please do listen on so should we get straight to it i think we should yeah why not this is this is episode 35 of your fest with the incredible white whale that is mark (laughs) watson let's go Oh, yeehaw. Wow. Mark Watson, welcome to Your Fest and to the Your Fest Planning Committee. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, thanks for putting me in charge of, you know, a major event of this kind. It's... Uh... <laughs> It's not a big deal. They expected to have, you know. Um, I've been to a lot of festivals, but I, I didn't. I didn't ever think I'd get the keys to my own one, really. So, uh, yeah, I'm delighted. Obviously. Have you ever been part of a planning committee before? No, I'm trying. I don't think I have to be on this. I think generally, um, I mean, stand-ups don't get entrusted with a lot of responsibility generally, <laughs> and uh, I think, and also, I mean, a committee is generally a thing you, you try and steer clear of being on i think so now i've 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 spent very little time on the board of of anything really um but this feels like a nice way in for me and maybe it'll lead to more committee opportunities in the future what's more exciting the fact that you're part of a hypothetical planning committee or the fact that you've got a hypothetical music festival um well i see them as the same thing basically <laughs> the festival obviously is really exciting but that can't happen without a lot of work behind the scenes <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it might seem like magic to people, but that's because they don't know the work that's gone into it. Good. Um, so you say you've been to a lot of music festivals. So are you a fan of them? And which which ones have you been to? Yeah, in my time I've been to... Well, 
I, I had two kind of phases. Uh, I used to go to festivals as a um, sort of teenager stroke, early 20s kind of like music fan. And then uh, most festivals have got a, um, some sort of comedy tent these days. So I've had a second wind of at this sort of age where you start to feel too old for festivals and you don't want a campus of that anymore. Um, I've now got a way of, yeah, normally if you play uh, festivals as a comedian, you don't get paid much, but you do get to go to the festival. So it's a way of getting in and out again and having a nice time, but without most of the inconvenience associated with festivals. So as a punter, I used to go to, I went to Glastonbury a few times, um, Reading, although that really does feel like a young person's festival every day yeah. nowadays. I, I've done Reading as a punter and a comedian, and I played it a couple of years ago as a comic, and I was just astonished by how young everyone was, and um, I've got fond, well, they're not that fond memories, actually. I've got Reading <laughs> ever festival, so I have sort of um, sentimental memories of it, because me and my brother went, and we were massively excited to be at a festival, and it was great fun everything. How old were you? I, I think I was 16, or maybe 17, but the my uh, brother was like 13 or I was the older brother who um, oh, wow. him into these things. So we went to a, a load of festivals in those days, like yeah, Reading, Glastonbury, uh, what was the V Festival. Uh, we went to a couple of weird Welsh ones as well. Loads of, we really went to it. But yeah, it was always with the caveat that I couldn't afford to lose him in a, in a mosh pit or get graduate or get too drunk or anything because he, he, at the end of the day he was about 13 and he shouldn't really be there <laughs> um, <laughs> I was good. that's really young that's really young to go he, to a festival he was fortunate to be uh to benefit from me being there. actually the first time I went to Glastonbury he wasn't allowed to go but most other festivals we did go as, as a sort of unit um but and I, I mean I one time I remember um watching uh, Super Furry Animals at Reading in a, a very, very crowded tent. They'll come up again. And um, he it just got separated from him in this wave of people. And in all, we've been to a lot of music gigs in our lives before, but never a, not a festival. It's different, different league, basically. Suddenly, you, you're playing at Wembley, suddenly. It's, it's um, <laughs> And I couldn't find him afterwards, obviously. Fuck. And, um, no mobiles or anything. It probably wouldn't have been Signal anyway, but of course, this is like late 90s. You know, in in the late nineties, if you if you didn't make an arrangement with someone beforehand, then you you didn't know where they were. <laughs> it's hard enough with phones at festivals, though, isn't it? Yeah, like, you've rarely got proper signal and stuff like that. Yeah, um, and people just don't stick to plans. I find at festivals, no, I mean, when you will will meet it, and I'll text you when we're on our way. When we've watched so and so, and you've watched so and so, no, no one's you get carried away, don't you? Don't go to a festival in order to follow a, a kind of strict plan. Even if there's bands you want to see, you will yeah. you go and see them, but you won't. You can't account for your, all of your movements in between. No. Um, no. But this was well before that. In fact, I just remembered that first Glastonbury, which I think was 99, um, hearing for a, a payphone to ring my parents. <laughs> which again, it, it seems so weird now. And there was like three payphones on the whole site, probably. And I don't know why... I mean, I was. We should explain to our younger listeners what a payphone is. They might actually. I think that we probably should. Yeah. <laughs> there used to be about twenty phones in the UK, and, and you have, you could put coins into one to use it. But it's, it's definitely a true memory. But I don't know why I was doing it because I was, you know, almost twenty. So I don't know why I felt like I needed to reach my parents. But <laughs> they probably had heard about Glastonbury on the telly and thought I was almost certain to die there. It was one of those situations. Um, <laughs> And yeah, of course, in the end, I went back to the tent and my brother showed up about half an hour later. He just got dragged away and like had a drink with someone that he didn't know and all this kind of thing. But 
in those, I still remember the cold, the, those moments where you think, well, I've got no guarantee I'll ever find them again. And it's not that easy to find your way back to the tent because there's a fucking lot of tents and it's dark. And they're so, fucking yeah. massive as well, aren't they? Yeah, it was, uh, it's weird to look back on how fearless I, I used to be. I, as an adult, I've, as a, well, as, as a performer, I've been to Latitude. I've played at almost every festival, I think, because almost all of them have a comedy component. And some of them I have, like Latitude, I've taken the opportunity to stay and um, even camp with my partner and things. But these days, I have got an eye on it being a more pleasant um, experience, I think. And also, this is the only form of camping that I will do. I, I'm not really an outdoors person. I, I, like, I, I'll only camp if there's a like if there's music attached to it. Basically, I wouldn't. The idea of a camping holiday where you have all of the problems of being in a tent, yeah. you, you don't see... And no benefits, yeah. Day. It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I was going to... Well, I was going to ask about Super Furry Animals, but you said you're going to mention later, so I'll hold off on that, uh, because I'm ex I'm excited if they're going to be uh, a part of it. Yeah, it might be. We'll, we'll, uh, no spoilers, yeah. We'll see, yeah. <laughs> but um, we can riff, you know, we can spitball. Uh, but... but the, <laughs> I was going to say, uh, you said about Redden and Leeds and like, it, you, you know, being too, I don't know when you get too old for that festival, but this just, my mate, so we've got a stag do group and obviously everyone's, everyone's weddings and stag do's have been put off. And I, um, God, Johnny, I, I nearly just said I'm 30, Johnny, which uh, Johnny always has a go at me because I say that like, I'm not, I'm 31 now, but um, it's that time when everyone's getting married and having stag do's. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, my mates got put off and then it got put off again and then he said you know what we'll just we'll get our money we'll get whatever money back and we'll try and go in uh, 2022 on you know they'll do the wedding first and we'll do the stag do and he said as an alternative anyway and considering he's older as well he's about 34 and he's organizing his younger brother who's my best mate stag do said as an alternative uh, we're all going to go to Reading or Leeds so I've got him tickets I was like, not really? I was like, I just said, I'm too old for that. I can't act that at 31. Yeah, it was a good opening fest. I think we went twice, me and my brother, at like 17, 18, 19 sort of age. But yeah, I mean, a lot of my memories of it are of like uh, people setting a portaloo on fire just yeah, for hell of it, yeah. or uh, the guy in the tent next to you is, sings Come As You Are on loop <laughs> all night with a guitar or something. <laughs> the, um, the sort of stuff which, when you are a teenager, you think, "Well, this is what festivals are like. This is, you know, this is what it's all about." <laughs> I remember, especially with stuff like someone sets a fire or, or people are chucking stuff around, or all this. You think, "Ah, oh, this is wild. We're at a festival." But even at the time, I, I was like, oh, "I don't. This isn't really what I'm here for." I didn't it's it's horrible. <laughs> and these days, if I'm, we've been to not just Latitude, but there's other ones like Wilderness and things, which are pretty family friendly and middle class. Even Glastonbury is, I suppose, by old standards. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I'm in my 40s. I'm like, well, that just means I'll it'll probably have, it'll be nicer. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I think you can have a, a music festival with perfect integrity without it actually being a like awful experience. For yeah. you know, I think I, I do get it when you're certainly. I, I remember looking out at the. Um, I was on at Reading, no Leeds. It was uh, it can only be two years ago. I went down from Edinburgh Festival just for the day and back up again, and. Um, so I was like 38 at this point, went on stage and you could see that the, it was a big tent, but um, the average age can't have been more than about 18 in there. And also a lot of them were like, you know, curled up or sat down or huddled in it. All of them showed signs of not having exposed themselves to this sort of thing before, but it was only about 
I was on early because I had to get back to Edinburgh. So it's only been about noon and a lot of these people were already. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I sort of remember that, but I also remember that was never really my thing. If I went it's... to see a day of bands or whatever, I had to, like I would see it out. I wouldn't, I never, I was always amazed how people, because it's expensive for one thing. It used to cost, I don't know what festivals cost now, but it'd be like 80 or 90 quid Glastonbury, I think. And that was a lot of saving. 250 now, 250. Yeah. Which I suppose in proportion that's similar, but that is quite a bit of money. And so then it amazed me that people would get there and early on the Friday before any of the music has started, they were already basically totaled for the weekend. You know what it is though? It's not just drinking drugs at a young age, it's sunlight exposure, too yeah. much sun, and lack of water. It's true. People you don't actually look after yourself. You no. don't <laughs> you underestimate how long a day at a festival is if you're not taking ample care of yourself it's disgusting can't, can't, it's horrible you can't look after yourself never mind a 13 year old younger brother so yeah. <laughs> i was i was part of a group who had at least a couple of my friends had been to a couple of festivals before so i wasn't the i was senior to my brother but at least there were people who knew what they were doing you want to go to a festival for the first time with someone that already knows what they're doing definitely because otherwise there's lots of stuff you and especially at glastonbury and festivals like that the campsite is um so far from where you're actually going to be once you've left the tent you're gone so yeah you've got people wandering around a field for literally 10 or 11 hours stretch as you say without ever drinking any water or (laughs) sitting down properly (laughs) sitting down (laughs) it goes wrong for some people (laughs) i do i do feel like going to reading and leeds at our age now would be like when you go back to a primary school and you see how small the chairs are and how little yeah. the desks are. And it's like, I can't believe that, you know, yeah. I was ever one of those people. That's right. I even get it when I go back to my uni town and I see these people walking around in hoodies that are 18, 19. <laughs> when I was at uni, I thought I was the business. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> can't be my successors. You must just be visitors that have bought a hoodie or something because I can't take you seriously as a student. It's amazing. You, well, you feel so old at 18 or 19, but you've done absolutely nothing. Yeah, and you're such a prick as well. Yeah, yeah. Fuck you know. <laughs> like, I, I look at, like, I think the first, I mean, I was, what was my first festival? The Festival 2006, and I was 16. And we we made the mistake of not going. It was just four mates, very in between us. Don't forget the thumbs up. Oh, friend. Oh, new friend. Friend. Oh, friend. Please be my friend. Oh, friend. Oh, friend. We had no fucking clue what we were doing. Um, and I, just, I remember... Do, like sliding in mud like on my belly at one point i was like what what like i wasn't even impressing anyone I, no, like, you, you, my you, mates weren't impressed like i wasn't pulling any you know no you've just grown up with this idea that it's not really a festival unless you get like <laughs> messy and and or <laughs> drugs or you, you want to have a story to come back with yeah. it's really embarrassing looking back yeah, and then there's the four or five hours afterwards where you're just like, well, I'm just covered in mud. Now. Yeah, dry mud. <laughs> <laughs> I always felt like I got lucky. I went to a couple of slightly wet Glastonbury's and uh, Reading and stuff like that, but I never went to one of the infamous ones where it's a disaster. Like, I don't think I'd have liked that. Again, before I went to festivals, that was what put me off. When I was a teenager watching the news, there were a couple of Glastonbury's in the 90s that were, you know, became notorious for... Oh. And you see people on the TV just like floating, like you'd say, like floating in mud, or and it did look like the worst thing in the world, to be honest. I, I was, I was actually when I went to Glasgow for the first time, everyone else was like 
oh, if it rains, it's going to be wild. It's going to be, and I was dreading that. I was, I was thinking, I, I couldn't think of anything worse. I People get an actual fucking trench foot, which yeah. hasn't really existed since the World War One. Just so you can go back to school on Monday and be like, ah, oh, it's amazing. I, I contracted an ancient disease. Yeah. I think if one of my early festivals had been like that, if, if I'd gone to a really, really wet one early doors, I probably would never, it would have put me off for life. But I, would, I just was fortunate with the elements. First couple. Yeah. yeah, the first Glastonbury I went to it was 2013, which is one of the hot, one of the hottest on. I can't believe I'm about to say it's one of the hottest on record. Uh, but it and it was, you know what? And I was like, but then you know what? Subsequently, every Glastonbury after was kind of disappointing. I went to like the, the worst one actually. I say not not Glastonbury, Reading or Leeds. I can't remember which one because I I did both of them just to see which if there was any difference or whatever. Yeah. I went to one of those infamous Reading and Leeds where it was just like, uh, it was, it was just like it, there was literally like trenches. It just felt like World War One. And yeah. the fact that there is the Lord of the Flies element, you know, the fire and everything, and all that the amalgamation of all those things of horrible weather and. The toilets at Redden and Leeds are like, oh god, just thinking of them. And me and Johnny have talked about it. Poo Girl must have come up about on ten episodes by now, I think. I don't know if you're aware of Poo Girl and the legend so, of Poo Girl. Getting knocked over in a portal, is it? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, like these... in the underbelly of it, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to be down there, really, do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, I, I think these things like huddling by a fire in the still, all this has got a certain glamour when you're. But you get to a certain age, not that old, where you think, I'd rather just have a nice weekend. <laughs> it does, it, they always do look like places where NATO should be dropping in like, <laughs> supplies, <laughs> air dropping supplies into everyone that's there. Yeah, I think if you, if you knew nothing about it, if you were an alien or something and you flew over Glastonbury in a wet year, you, you would think it was some sort of internment situation or something. <laughs> You'd struggle to understand why that many people were in what appeared to be a sort of shanty town. <laughs> Yeah, I thought we dropped in uh, 2021, not like uh, yeah. <laughs> 1843. Well, when it's nice, when the weather's nice and it's a warm night at a festival and you're just wandering across a field with a drink in your hand and the sun is setting, and you know, that those are, I really missed that about, I mean, yeah, one of the things I missed about last summer, which didn't feel like a real summer, was that stuff. I mean, the, obviously the Euros and stuff like that was big. Yeah. It's weird having a summer with, without any national football where it was meant to be one. Um, that was probably my biggest loss. But then after that, definitely those weeks of June, July, when you're, those moments oh, yeah. where you are just like sitting in front of a stage with a, you know, it's not, there aren't many things that compare with that. Even having it on iPlayer, like when, you know, yeah. just Glastonbury being there on iPlayer in the background, even if you're not going, it's, it's still, it's almost it's a like real, a national holiday. Yeah, it's a staple of the summer and, that was a weird thing about last year, I think. All those staples just weren't. You got to Christmas and you thought, but we haven't had the Euros, we haven't had Glastonbury, we haven't had the, yeah. we didn't have the football season, we didn't really. It was, yeah, it's one of the things, one of the reasons that, that we've all been a sort of out of body experience, I think, is that we're all used to um, certain staples of the year and without them, yeah, it sort of goes, goes away, doesn't it? Yeah, good time for us to start this podcast, though, wasn't it, Johnny? You opportunistic uh, <laughs> venture capitalist. It's nice to at least think about festivals, yeah. Um, but but then, well, it looks like it, we're going to have the same sort of thing this year. So I, I, I did see one. Um, you know that one we were sending each other, Johnny? What did you describe it as, the lineup? 
um, where it's like oh, uh, the most radio X festival on record. That was it, yeah. So it was, I can't uh, remember his name. It's like Miles Kane. That's it, yeah. It's in September, so, but there are some good. Uh, we've some your festival alumni like Magic Gang and the Orioles, who uh, like good friends and like really good bands. Anyway, I read the other day that Ian Brown uh, was supposed to headline this festival. I think it's in September or October. They've they've announced it's definitely happening. I mean, we'll see. But Ian Brown has pulled out because uh, it's uh, you have to have had a vaccination, compulsory vaccinations, and he tweeted vaccinations. Yeah. So he's fucking pulled out, the mad bastard. Fucking hell. If I was Ian Brown at this stage, I wouldn't be trying to get out of work. I'd, I'd, no. <laughs> he hasn't got an infinite shelf life as a festival headliner with the best word in the world, not as a solo artist. No, no. Um, but, but yeah, very weird. I mean, I don't think... I've, I don't know if you've seen him live as well. Like, I mean, I went to Stone Roses gigs and they were great, but I've seen a few of his solo gigs and... Yeah, he needs a lot of auto-tune or something on his voice. Yeah, I only saw him once. I think he probably was Reading or somewhere, like, waiting for someone to come on, the way you see a lot of people at festivals. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was fine, but I, I don't think I would have thought in 15 years' time this guy will have enough of a, a platform to <laughs> try and oppose the government's official policy. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of a sideways move, really, for the uh, for the Stone Roses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mark, before we move on to your dream festival, I want to ask you about a, a very exclusive festival that you've played in the past to a an, uh, an audience of one when you were a member of the Diverse Stripes and you played Tascambury. Do you mm. have fond memories of good, that? Good evening, London. Uh, we are the uh, the Diverse Stripes. I am Jack Brown, and this is my wife's sister, Mark. This is uh, called I'm Always Seeing You, open brackets, do cool stuff, close brackets. Close brackets. All right, and a one, two, three, four. Oh, yeah. I saw you translate a poem from Japanese. It looked so tricky, but you did it with these. I saw you judging long jump at the athletics. I felt so low cause it's born, I'm just pathetic I'm always seeing you do cool stuff I try my best but it's never good enough Yeah, I mean, exclusive is right. It was, um, not only was there only one person there, but um, <laughs> there's in Taskmaster, of course, I don't know. Yeah, one of the, it's funny, one of the things I look back on and remember is that um, they made us play the song about four times for to get all the angles and cutaways and stuff. But obviously Rosalind, the subject of the song, um, was just had to listen to it again and again and sit there. And me and this were getting more and more into it. I wanna serve your beans on toast, but it's a fantasy, it's nothing but a boast. You come from Southport, I live miles away in Ballum. And I'm a coward and I feel a rather valid. I'm always seeing you do cool stuff. I try my best, but it's never. Good enough. Good enough. One more time. People often say when they watch it, like a lot of people love it about the song and it had a real reaction. But people sometimes say she, she herself doesn't look that throat. <laughs> 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 um, and I think it's because she was, from her point of view, she was just trapped in a garden while two middle-aged <laughs> men just lived out their rock star fantasies more and more. <laughs> Please say, like, one of you bit your lip as well, like. It was a great day, though, for us, because me and Nish had been through a lot in that 
series. Uh, and well, I did, did do all right actually in the scoring, but both of us had like messed so many things up and just been like well out of our comfort zone. And when the task was, it was one of the last things we did in the series when it came up and it's like write a song at last, we were like, right, this is the moment. But I was, um, Surprised by the uh, the response to it, it's probably the, the thing I've done that most people have reacted to. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly bittersweet that it can't really be replicated. It has no, you know, has no future application. Could, were you uh, a drummer before, or in, in a just... very minor way? I was a drummer in a teenage band, like the sort of band everyone was into. And I, but I never owned a drum kit. Um, because I lived in a normal street where you just you couldn't you couldn't. Do that. <laughs> uh, my mate lived on a farm. His parents lived on a farm, so he could own he owned musical instruments. He was allowed to make noise. So I learned to play the drums a bit just by going to his house, and we played in this band and stuff. Um, but it was very very basic stuff, and then didn't touch it again for yeah I suppose twenty years, and then at some till that day, till that day I, they must have at some point asked when when before the series started, can you play anything? But I'd forgotten that, so it was sprung on us like all the tasks are. So yeah, I was delighted, even though it was only like a, a child's drunkie, I was very into it. And, uh, <laughs> if they'd let us have proper proper instruments, and uh, uh, goodness knows what might have happened, we, we probably would have written a, an album. <laughs> we <were> really... <laughs> it was a happy day. The weird thing was, um, obviously the episodes jumble all of the uh, tasks into different order, but... Um, Earlier in the series, Nish, there was a task where Nish had to drop as much yogurt as he could onto me from high up on a cherry picker. Yeah. And um, that was the previous, that was obviously the same day of filming. There's only one day with me and Nish together. So th that on that day of work, I, um, I got bombed with yogurt from 100 feet up and then wrote a, wrote a cult song in my own <laughs> festival. It's quite, a, you know, one of the memorable days of my career. <laughs> Wait, which order was it? Which did you do first? The yogurt thing was first, because I remember walking back across West London with this, the site for that was about half a mile walk from the Taskmaster house. So I just had to walk across all these roads in a boiler suit that was noticeably covered with blueberry yogurt and then get showered and then straight out to this, to the garden to, to uh, write and perform a song at a festival. Yeah. Sometimes Taskmaster is a bit like an anxiety dream or a series of anxiety dreams. Oh God, yeah. I can't even imagine, like, oh. Um, but yeah, when the song then came out, it was, and that, that was just a tiny, a tiny glimpse of what it would be like. To, I often think this, with comedy, you do get quite a lot of ego boosts. And if you play big gigs or play a festival or something, it's, it is amazing. It's, at festivals, sometimes like Latitude, there's you can it could be like two thousand people in the town. You know, it feels pretty, pretty good. Um, but if you then go and watch a music headliner, it is a, a different league of like the what it's like being in a field with a sort of hundred thousand people in front of you is yeah. unimaginable. I think something about it's just the way music is. The biggest gigs you can do as a comedian are still like it's still a twentieth of what it would be like. Well, I, I always used to ask this question because you've kind of alluded to it there, like especially about latitude, where the comedy is is held almost in the same like regard as the music. Um, but most comedians we have we've had on just say like, "Nah, you never uh, you never feel like a musician." But I, I always say, "Is latitude is that the closest you as a comedian that you feel like?" being a rock star, like you say, like playing those tents. It probably is because the, certainly latitude is huge and you go out to a, you know, quite a bit of a reception. It's also weirdly like being a rock star in a, um, in a bad way, which is that 
because it is set up like a music festival, there's a sort of crash barrier and the first audience members are quite a long way away from you. So right. obviously it does work if you are the Kaiser Chiefs, but it's a bit weird if you're a <laughs> like you sort of would like to be as close to them as possible. Um, you should just start your gigs like, oh... Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are quite a lot of things they can do, which you can't do as a comedian, really. Um, and um, but yeah, you're on a big screen or two big screens at either side of the stage, and the crowd stretches back as you approach the tent. Um, you, you can see the big screens and the broadcasting to people outside as well, because not everyone can fit into the tent. So that again does give you a right. feeling. But again, you're aware that um, that an actual rock star is on a much bigger scale. I remember. I think the first one of the first times I did Latitude, I was I overlapped with Mumford and Sons, and um, who at the time were it, they were just at the peak of their of their fashion, but they just massive, massive, it, weren't it, they? Huge, yeah. I don't know why they were on in the afternoon, but I suppose it's sort of out they were. So I overlapped with them, and I remember just hearing a couple of fiddles in the distance, and then <laughs> a large number of people immediately leaving the tent in front of me. Oh, <laughs> like, no. That is that's one way in which it's probably odder for a comedian if you're if you're playing a massive field as a as a uh, band you, you're surely not conscious of whether people are like coming and going and stuff because True. and there's there's enough of a sea of people in front of you but even in the tent comedy tent size latitude just because of the way stand-up is if you're halfway through saying something and someone just like gets up and wanders off you, oh, you are quite conscious of that is your eye just focused on it like is it in your head you can't help the eye can't help being drawn to it. Oh, man. Imagine if you're Beyonce halfway through a song, you're not thinking, oh, that fucking <laughs> Yeah, I think music is a different thing. Comedy does rely on a certain intimacy, but even in that last two ten, you're trying to draw people in and stuff like that. Whereas if you're headlining Glastonbury, then there's absolutely no need to do that. You just blast it to an entire... That must be an amazing feeling, knowing that... Yeah. Especially those those late night those headline slots when it's dark and you can just see people's lighters and that iconic Glastonbury sight with people that must be, but I, again it must be stressful as well. I remember listening mm, to Tom, yeah. uh, Tom York after Glastonbury headline uh, they headlined Glastonbury Radiohead in ninety seven ninety seven yeah just after I taking computer come out it was yeah I watched it on the telly and it was looked amazing I loved them it, it must have been and people that were there said it was amazing but I, I, I remember him saying in an interview it was quite a miserable experience because you can't hear yourself really it's so big that you've got no context whether it's going well or not you feel like you're just broadcasting it out into the you know like even if you're doing a comedy gig to a few thousand people in the arena you are you're thinking i don't really know if you're liking this i'm just sort of doing it yeah it must be pretty weird playing songs to a hundred thousand people and you can only really see a handful of them in front and you know it's on live telly and all of it it must be it's a lot of money to headline Glastonbury, but you really earn it in terms of the stress levels, I would have thought. Yeah, which is why you have to do a Kanye West. That's what Tom York should have done and just, you know, got on a got on a weird crane and gone out into the audience. Do a weird thing. Like, do loads of bits of songs that don't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> Bring other people on stage. Yeah. <laughs> Get on a big crane and throw blueberry yogurt at the crowd. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's what I do now. Play the hit. <laughs> It turns out as well, by the way, Mumford and Sons. I, I, I can't expect that they're going to be in your um, in your your fest, but uh, it's revealed this week, unsurprisingly, that they're terrible people as well. Right? Yeah, I never really got into Mumford and Sons. I didn't mind. Oh, no. It doesn't do a lot for me, so I'm, I'm not too dis- I'm not no. too disheartened to find that they're. But I mean, it, it's weird how many musicians have sort of chosen the lockdown to 
be reveal themselves as massive cunts. Those terrible uh, <laughs> on society. Yeah. <laughs> uh, should we move on to your dream festival, then, Mark, uh, where Mumford and Sons don't have to be within five hundred miles of it? Yes. Uh, to begin with, we're going to need a name for the festival and a location. So location-wise, I think I'm going to hold it at my, my parents' house in, well, and yes. garden um, in Bristol. Um, now, it's not a particularly big house or garden. It's just a kind of suburban street, so it does limit the numbers. But I think as I get older, I'm sort of quite happy with that, basically. Um, I reckon, uh, I mean, obviously, partly I've gone for this because it is just convenient for me. I can, I can just nip back there. That's, um, <laughs> uh, but also, um, and my dad's a big music fan um, who, who got me into pop music really but he, he you know in his late 60s and stuff and he, he just never quite bothers going to stuff these days like I took him to Bruce Springsteen in Hyde Park and I, I was, he loved it but he wouldn't have got bothered going by himself or I got the yeah. ticket for Elton John me and my mum uh, him and my mum that was in Bristol that was down the road from them at Gloucestershire Cricket Ground but again he just wouldn't have bothered so I think if there's a festival in his house he will be interested as, you know so it, it's nice for him nice for the whole family um but the garden, realistically, you could only get, once you've got the stage in there, you're only looking at about, I reckon, 20 to 30 people standing, which I think is a nice <laughs> number. It, it just gives it a sense of occasion. You know, the tickets are going to go quickly as well. We don't need to worry about, I don't know yeah. who's, I haven't thought through all the finance, but presumably we've got some sponsorship, so I don't need to worry about covering the costs a bit. Um, but also, not that far from my parents is this area of Bristol called the Downs, which is just a huge green space. So you could easily camp on that and then walk in Nice. Um, if we can sell day tickets or something okay. and then for me obviously I can just sleep in my childhood bedroom and my, my sibling we can all have our old bedroom <laughs> so you know, I can have a bath in the morning but, yeah I, I've tailored it to myself to some extent <laughs> it is my festival exactly yeah. got good transport links um, so I just think it, it makes sense yeah I think a lot of what puts people off festivals is having to go to a field in the middle of nowhere and um, not know how they're going to get home and latitude which is a lovely festival is a bit of a nightmare for most people to actually access um but this is a relatively city center location and my mum will you know do some breakfast and stuff in the morning so it's just, great. You know, yeah is um, this still is this the same house that you couldn't play drums in yeah well we moved to this house when I was teen, in my teenage years so yeah the noise is going to be a fact issue yeah. definitely I, I haven't yet been able to get around all of the neighbours to run this past them. Um, right, we'll do that. I'll, we'll, we'll, yeah, I'll get on that right away. One good thing is they are sort of end of Paris, so there's only one set of neighbours, but I, I guess that potentially a full-scale music festival could actually, the sound could carry to the whole hill. So, um, <laughs> you know, we might need to, it might be a case of putting some notes through people's letterboxes, I would think. Um, that, that's fine. Johnny, you, you can do that, can't you? You're, you're the logistical man. Yeah, I'll get on my bicycle and cycle around Bristol and <laughs> post some... You're a jogger now. You're a jogsman. You can do that. The way you normally do it is, um, if it's a party or something, is you just invite all of them, isn't it? But I, I don't think we can do that because that would be the full... That would be the capacity there. <laughs> Are you putting it on general sale? Like, it, 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 you well, know, is the whole British public able to try and get these 20 or 30 tickets? Difficult. I think when we announce the lineup, there's going to be more than 20 or 30 people interested. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> So I suppose, but then it's not really in the spirit of festivals to just have it purely for friends and family. So we're going to have to have a think about it. You can do what you want, mate. Just maybe I'll maybe I'll give them to my nearest and dearest who are into the music and stuff like that. But we'll we'll hold back a very small number for general sale, like five, and just see what. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, is this our this is our 
third garden festival, is it? Yes. So uh, they're proving more popular than I anticipated, but I did imagine Mark would go for as a proud Bristolian somewhere in Bristol. Well, yeah, the obvious place in Bristol is this place called the Downs, which has had festivals on it before. I think, I think maybe Massive Attack did one a couple of years ago. That, that is like a that's a big area laid out for festivals, but you too know, big. maybe too big. I don't I don't want just every Tom, Dick, and Harry coming into you know what it's like <laughs> festivals you there's always someone chatting through the songs or clapping along badly or they're singing too loud. And, you know, I, I worry if this is my bespoke curated festival, I'm going to be annoyed by my own, my own people if I'm, if there's too many of them. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've got to go smaller than that. And um, my parents' house is just like there. So yeah. Um, if, if it's also possible when they can go on holiday again, when they've been vaccinated, maybe I can sync it for a time when they're out. So then we've got a couple more. <laughs> I thought. I thought. Did you? Did you? Do you not want your dad there? No. If if he's up for it, then he. Okay. But my mum, I don't think. My mum won't be up for it, right? Uh, she likes stuff like Michael Bolton and Roberta Flack and that sort of thing. I'm not planning. I don't think any of the acts are really up her street. So you know. They were. They quite literally are. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're in a street. But, um, and again, she she would she might enjoy the catering challenge, but I don't want her to feel like she has to run one of those taco stands that you get at festivals. <laughs> <laughs> um, and have we got a name for this festival as well? I want. I wasn't sure about this. I don't want it to be named after myself, really, or and I'm not sure it should be at my named after my parents' house either because their address enters the public domain there. Um, so I think I, I I I think I might. They might not want me to do this, but I might call it the Super Furries at my opening night band i might call it fur fest or something like that after, nice. after them first time i did it for the hell of it stuck around the back of my tongue and then swallowed it second time things are getting easier pull me down this way this getting busier third time looking maybe feeling fuzzy oh my god they're getting hippy dippy four six seven Does require their permission and they're probably talking to their management and stuff like that but and they would probably feel if it's going to be called that they would have wanted to curate it but again you know this is they might not want the admin of that i don't know that any of them want to be on a planning committee also if they curate it it will be fucking mental <laughs> the lineup. Yeah. yeah they'll be in a good way but you know no that's right and i've got my eye on the mainstream success of this festival yeah good good yeah, we're talking profit margins. And I think what? so, yeah. I mean, obviously the, the numbers are quite limited, so the profit margins might be... <laughs> but I guess you've only got to start charging sort of 10 grand a ticket or something, and you do start to see it pile up. <laughs> <laughs> Probably can't charge my parents that, but everyone else is fair game. Cool. Okay, good. And what, what days of the week is it? Yeah, I've thought about this, and I think, you know, I might go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, just to be Ooh. different. Because obviously, everyone normally goes. You're expecting Friday to Sunday, but um, the only reason for that is that that's when most people are available for a weekend away, and we don't have to worry about that because we're not looking to reach large. You know, everyone is going to want to come to this anyway, so I don't think we need to be wedded to the days of the week particularly. And I also think that 
um, when you're dealing with big acts, they're likely to be more in demand at the weekend, whereas they might have a slot on Monday. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel as... Sometimes I'm offered a gig on a Tuesday or something. It's much easier to commit to than if it was a Saturday. So I think it might help with our booking if we go early week. Instead of doing that band practice, that's what I used to do when I was in bands. It's like, you know, if you get a mid, like, we were going to practice that day, so let's treat it like a practice and earn 50 quid. Precisely. You know, I, I think if, if, in the years to come when this festival becomes a big deal, I think if you're on the phone to Lizzo's management and you can say, well, it's a Wednesday, so she can maybe tack it on to whatever the O2 on a Thursday. It becomes <laughs> useful. If you get her on Saturday night, she's probably already got that O2 thing in. Good. I like that. I like that thinking. Actually, that's how I used to see band, big bands. And stuff. You know, bands will often play Bristol on a Wednesday to get ready for Glastonbury or something. <laughs> yeah. like, so that's maybe where we can position our festival. It's a nice lead into something else. You know what, though? I've been to a few of those gigs over the years uh, where bands are, they're, you know, their Glastonbury um, warm-up gig. Who did I see? Like, I can't, I can't even say I'm a massive... Uh, maybe when I was about 20, I was a a Kasabian fan but I saw them doing a Glastonbury warm-up gig uh and it's you know because they're all because they are practicing for the biggest gig of their lives these bands who are doing warm-up gigs it can be fucking amazing because they're doing a brilliant set they're doing a best of hit set that's the thing they've basically they've got to bring the the a game because it's exactly. something they haven't played for years and stuff yeah it, it doesn't get like better. a semi-final Champions League semi-final I suppose exactly and in some ways maybe better than seeing the actual festival set because you're sharing that with 50,000 people or exactly yeah. There you go. So that's the vibe this whole festival will have, basically. Yes. A warm up, yeah. Semi final. Yeah. <laughs> so on the Monday at Furfest, I think we've already, well, you've already given away who's opening it, but uh, do you want to give a, an explainer of what that day's looking like? Yeah. Well, I've got quite a lot of history with the, the Super Furry Animals. I was a massive fan of theirs in the 90s. And I mean, I still am, but I was going to festivals at a time when they were um, a real festival favourite band. And uh, my brother and I saw them any number of times in, in that period um, at Glastonbury, Reading and stuff. Also, we'd go and see them on tour. Um, part of the, I mean, I love the, their music and stuff, but part of the reason they're a good festival band is also the reason it's going to be tricky having them in the house, which is that they do bring an awful lot of pyrotechnics, special effects. Um, they had a tank, famously, for a few years that they bought, yes. bought um, Don Henley from the Eagles. Um, and they would always roll up with, I, I saw them once at Glastonbury and this is now a famous thing. I've seen it on Twitter and stuff, uh, the, the footage, but that they, Glastonbury and I think 2000 and someone drove, drove a van through the crowd waving a Welsh flag and all this business. And uh, everyone, including us, assumed it was just part of the, you know, part of the thing because they were always doing that. It turns out it was just some, some mad people that somehow got a van in. Um, <laughs> but yeah, part of the reason I saw them many, many times is that they'd always, they'd always be up to antics. They'd always have, sometimes they came out in full animal costumes or boiler suits or weird other stuff. So it's, it's a visual spectacle, basically. But as I say, how are they going to get all this stuff into my mum's place? I don't really know. <laughs> there's also quite, uh, um, there's, there's a bit of cachet attached to this because we're, we're, they're not officially, they're sort of in semi-retirement and Griff does loads of other stuff and all the members of the band have their own projects. So kind of a coup to, um, they reformed briefly a couple of years ago and played the early albums and stuff. And I went to that and, and they're still brilliant. Um, but I just think in terms of putting the festival on the map, it is, it's a good one as well because, and my, my, we'll come to it, but my final night headliner involves reforming a, a band as well. So I think 
yeah, I think it's going to get us a fair bit of attention, get people talking about it. I uh, I was going to say when you mentioned them before, um, I, I absolutely adore them. I was saying they're probably my favourite band that I've never seen live. Like I, and I only got into them maybe um, five, six years. My my best friend at the time, so he's Frank Seibon's son. He passed away. Um, he passed away twenty seventeen or something. But they mean a lot to me that band because we were supposed to go and see them. And then I, I think we didn't go because he passed away. But yeah. we he got me into Super Fairy Animals in a big way. Do you know what I mean? And um, yeah, at his funeral and that, like, they played and stuff. And then I realised, I realised through him, quite late on, not late on in my life, but when I was, like, 25, 26, just how fucking amazing that band is. Uh, of work as well loads. oh yeah so much like, and I was lucky I got into them at a time when I was like, 16, 17 and it was prime gig going time and my brother and I travelled quite far to see them um, in, we went to I went to Middlesbrough to see them once from, I, I, was at, I was at uni in Cambridge but that still it doesn't make sense as a journey yeah. <laughs> all those people that you Used to pride ourselves on going. Well, actually, we saw them a lot of times, but it'd only be a couple of times on top uh, per tour. And you think of yourself as super fans, but then you see people on those tours that like every night are outside the stage door and stuff. And it's the same with Radiohead. We were big Radiohead fans, but by big, I'm still only talking about like uh, again, maybe twice on a tour. And you, especially with a band like that, you see people waiting for the tour bus to come in. And I never had that relationship with bands, I didn't really. Griff from Super Furries came to see me in Edinburgh a couple of years ago. Wow. Um, because he was up there anyway. He was doing did you know he was in the show? No, I did not. And I'm really glad I did. <laughs> um, my girlfriend knew, though, and also my PR person, because she was also looking after him. That's what. That's why he came. And I only found out afterwards. Um, and I didn't meet him. And I was really happy with it that way. You know, I, I feel wow. like I, I just because... You know, I really admire him and love the guy and everything, but I just think it, there's no way it could not be awkward. And I, I sort of feel like your optimum way of meeting someone like that is you do something like that. They watch it, they enjoy it. Wouldn't mind you saying hello, but I've never felt uh, the desire to, with bands or to see them, like see them on the way in, see them on the way out. I, I just feel like, especially, I can sort of understand it more with comedians because it feels like, oh, I'd be a nice person to have a chat to, but. You know, music is about building that, the spectacle and the, the mystery and stuff like that. I, the, the, the bigger and what weirder the Super Furries stage at was, almost the less I would ever have wanted to get in, in that bubble. Yeah. So that's what you go for, for the, for the feeling of like, shit, I don't, you know, if I'd, if I'd ever had like a, like these days I'd go to festivals and stuff, I can um, 
sometimes get into backstage things and all but if i ever had a chance to be like backstage watching them or VIP, i still wouldn't i'd want to be out front with your mates yeah a bit like how with football you you sometimes get invited to corporate boxes and stuff and you're like well that's that's fun and everything but i don't actually watch the game from there no <laughs> I, I was gonna say that they are like um super furry animals and who else was thinking of? I suppose uh, the Mannix as well. I don't know if it's a Welsh thing because there's so much like passion and stuff there, but they're almost like a football team. They're almost like a bit of a cult. Yeah, the, the, uh, there was that period where they, the Mannix and Catatonia, had this kind of, there was a sort of wave of, quite a benign wave of like Welsh nationalism and, and Gorky's to a lesser extent. And you'd go to their gigs and there would be a lot of like flag waving and stuff. And me and my brother were, you know, from Bristol and sort of were like Welsh adjacent, but we weren't really... And the Super Furries, especially because a lot of Welsh language stuff and everything. Yeah. And, and there was, um, <laughs> in fact, I seem to, I might be, I might be wrong about this. So you'd want to look this up before you go. I seem to remember that certainly the guitarist, Bump, Hugh Bumper, was, was from Bath. He was the non-Welsh one, the ringer. And I seem to remember at the height of this craze for uh, him saying in, in an enemy interview, I don't give a shit about Wales and like got into loads of trouble with that. <laughs> but I might be misremembering that. Um, <laughs> But yeah, they were, they were kind of, um, I think what I loved about it was there was a kind of sort of national pride thing and a quite a niche thing of like songs, some songs in Welsh and a real, but at the same time, it was never not inclusive. You didn't feel like you had to be into it. And it was the same with, there were communities of people that supported, like a lot of their songs were drug related, or especially in the early days, or yeah. you didn't have to be in a part of a culture. They, it did sort of feel like they were for everyone, basically, the anarchy of it. It made it cool to be Welsh as well, I feel like, at that time. It was extremely cool to be Welsh in that period, yeah, because Welsh music was, like, on that high and stuff. Um, and, in fact, I went to see the Super Furry supporting um, the Mannix in some massive place in Cardiff, like the International Arena, and it, um, it almost... I went to see them supporting the Mannix and Blur, you know, that we were the level of fans where we'd go just to see them in a support slot. But... Um, you'd always feel a bit cheated because you were only getting like half an hour. And then and I liked the Anmanx, so it was no hardship, but there was this slight feeling of like, it's always weird when the support are the ones you most wanted to see. Yeah. The sort of weird premature climax. And also you'd get massive Manix fans who weren't necessarily into it. So they would not even be watching or they'd be like chatting through it. And if you're a fan of a support band, you quite quickly get a massive grudge against people that yeah. aren't <laughs> there and don't know who they are. <laughs> My, well, well, um, go on, Jolly. My main knowledge of the Super Fairy Animals is the fact, and we've talked about how they're a bit like a football team in the way that people love them. The fact that they sponsored Cardiff City uh, yeah. in the late nineties. That's right. I have, I do have that shirt somewhere. It was. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm a Bristol City fan, and Cardiff are our enemies essentially. It's more now because the rivalry became really bitter in the past few years. But even then. Um, but there's no way I could not buy the shirt, but I couldn't really also wear it either. <laughs> <laughs> there's one photo of me with that Cardiff City Super Furries top on, which was at a family gathering where no one, and I, I, I probably never was to wear it again. Yeah. Also, I was going to say, just what Welsh nationalism is so much more, uh, I don't know, I don't know, more appealing, more admirable than uh, English nationalism. <laughs> uh, yeah, it feels especially. Um, uh, well, I suppose it feels like striking back against having been the underdogs, the little guys, like, you know, being given a voice. Whereas if you're at a, 
don't know who an example is, maybe Kasabian, but if you're, you know, at a band where it's a bit like England, England, I suppose Oasis actually is not, anyway, you can't, you can't quite get into that in the same way because you're like, we already, we already have loads of stuff though. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm, I'm I'm buzzing you pick them because we've never had them before. Uh, and what about what's who's your Tuesday headline? No, I've got I, so Superheroes and the other band is sort of I've bookended it with basically big guitar bands. So in between we need something different. So and I don't know how easy it is to get her, but I'm looking to get Madonna for the Tuesday. jolly don't you she follows you on twitter or something oh, cool. right? that's easy then yeah um, <laughs> i've never um i've never seen Madonna live and the, the chance has possibly gone now and like i'm not a i'm not a massive fan but i i grew up with Madonna's music like in the 80s and 90s as, and it, so it's that golden era what i'm looking for from her is that kind of true blue into the groove into like a prayer type that purple patch of Madonna's career but i don't know what the I don't think it's the done thing to book her and then give her a set list, probably. Um, um, but I think you can. Uh, you can. All right. So I'm looking for. I, I'm looking for. <laughs> then in that case, Madonna, but she's doing a chronological greatest hit. More. Oh, great. um, <laughs> where's it go up to? Does it? Does have you got like the cowboy, like Ray of Light and all? And, I still. Uh, the Austin I'm still. By then, I'm not what you maybe call a fan, but I still. I'm still into the, like Ray of Light and stuff like that. I've only really lost track of her in the past few years I yeah so they, they were bangers that was a really good album though i'm fine with her still going into her sort of reinvented disco Yeah, so it's, this is, I'm not putting many restrictions on her. I'm just not looking for too much of the new album because I haven't really got a chance for it. Um, and Madonna seems like someone who, because she's, well, I suppose understandably, because she was probably the worst biggest, well, she would begin with like five songs that no one knew. You know how sometimes that's like a yeah a, a badge of honour if you're famous enough. You, you start with it. I don't want any of that at Fur Fest. That's not what we're about. I, I, Thanks, Fuck. Thanks, Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, was it George George Michael at the Olympics opening ceremony? Just played a, yeah, came out and played song. a new song. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> Come on, mate! This is the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> Even McCartney did "Hey Jude." <laughs> yeah, I think I think um, mm. I've always felt. Have you seen her, or was it Michael Jackson? My girlfriend's seen both her and Jackson, who realistically has. Oh, got fuck off! Really? Um, yeah, because she grew up in Leeds, and they these guys used to play. Roundhay Park and you know whereas in Bristol there was no equivalent to see Madonna you you might get her in Cardiff but you were probably going to London it just never happened and also like it's funny isn't it when you're my age you look back and think yeah obviously I was always into Madonna stuff but when I was 18 and an indie kid and stuff if you told your mates you were off to see Madonna it would seem really strange yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the period of my life where I could have realistically seen her would have been and I think it'd just be an occasion as well I, I think it'd be quite 
there are certain people that are big enough names that just to be that close. I, I, I like I was never a massive Prince fan. I liked him, but I was, you know. But again, I'm sure I never saw him live. I would. There's certain people like that that you would just be swept up in it. And I reckon Madonna on form. Yes, that it'd just be the occasion. But is it Mad- is it Madonna now? But she's still playing all those hits, or is it uh, any? I think so. I feel I feel a bit bad asking for like a, a young Madonna because it feels like that's part of what's great about her is that she's you know reinvented herself so many ways and stuff. So I think it's I think it's the the Madonna of now, but she's happily revisiting her career, which I guess maybe like she, a time will come when she does do a kind of best of career career spanning gig like that. But She'll have to at some point. You would have thought. Everyone, I suppose, does. And that is a good way to see someone because they more or less have got to do the hits then. And yeah. I, I'm not normally, I'm not a prick about it. Like, I'm not one of those people that like goes off to the bar when someone says new song. I'm normally very supportive of what bands want to do and like anyone wants to do. It's just that, I've, it's just that with very famous people, as I say, I've some, some seen them do sets where they almost deliberately don't do anything you've heard of. And the festival's too short to, like Bob Dylan's famous for it as well, you know, just like, Doing, I, I've never seen Dylan, but I do like a lot of his music. But I wouldn't want to be stuck among Dylan fans watching like reinventions of his of some of his so songs. I've been there. I've been in that scenario as a massive as a massive Dylan fan. Uh, Benicassim, two thousand and twelve or something. So I would have been in my early twenties, and I, one of the main reasons I went and made, made all my mates go. Obviously, it's a festival in Spain, like by the sea, so it's yeah, great. Anyway, in your early twenties, yeah. yeah, it doesn't take much convincing. But I was like, fucking hell, Dylan as well. Like, you know, I was in a massive Dylan phase at uni. Yeah, and I saw him, and oh my god, like it was like people were asking me, like Tommy, what song is this? Like, is, is that like a Rolling Stone? He's, he's just like, <laughs> yeah. And, I and mean, he didn't even have the screens on, so you couldn't. He had the screens off. It just said Bob Dylan, his his name on the screens. Yeah, that's not helping you, really, is it? You know, yeah, no. <laughs> and he's turned away from the fucking crowd, and he just plays like a two-hour set uh, of yeah, just is, God knows what. God knows what he played. This is sort of the nightmare, really. I I, I don't like. A, I was again into Dylan at university. I still like listening to him and stuff like that, but I think I'd rather never see him in my life than, than be at a shit. I wish I'd not seen him. Even a couple of years ago, he. He still is playing, isn't he? He did London not that long ago. I did sort of think, would this, would it be fun or not? And then afterwards, you look at the set list and you're like, well, I, I know about seven of those songs. And it exactly. sounds like you did an 11 minute version of a song that no one there knew what it was at all. And exactly. No, yeah. I, I describe myself as a massive Dylan fan, but that, th- saying that, I only know or listen to, you know, on rotation about six of his albums. Like, yeah, I don't but- listen beyond like the 70s. And in yeah. most contexts, that would that would count as being a massive fan. But yeah, yeah, true. He goes true. on to all of these lot later albums and stuff like that. But then, even his massive fans say that they've had miserable experiences watching him live. It's sort of almost what he's famous for. So again, we can't you can't take that risk at a festival with only three acts. They've all got to bring <laughs> the hits. I think. Can I can I ask when your when your girlfriend uh, saw Michael Jackson? What period was it? It's probably nineties. Is it? Like, Thriller, maybe or bad or yeah bad so like wow. like that's... you know still quite early on and Madonna was true blue era so that's when you wanted to be seeing you know what was Michael Jackson like sorry I'm not into oh, you <laughs> she talks about it with amazing I, again I would have liked to you know oh. but but again by the time he was doing those shows in the O2 and stuff the ship has already sailed you want to be seeing him when he hasn't got any bad songs for a start <laughs> yeah 
no Earth song, none of that business. <laughs> <laughs> that was the time. Yeah, helicopter up, all this business. Like, wow, bad is a perfect time to have seen him. I'm a big Michael Jackson yeah. fan, like music wise. <laughs> yeah, you have to, well, of course, you we've got we've got a mate who um, is a gigantic Jackson fan, and when all this business started coming out about him, she basically had to go down this playlist working out which songs were pre and post. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how to... I do it. That's how I listen to yeah, it. Yeah, she's curated the sort of approved and disapproved of list of songs. <laughs> yeah. So when did the allegations start? When Was track seven <laughs> on Bad? Did he record that? <laughs> yeah. We can just about get away with some of Dangerous. But <laughs> yeah. it, it is bad and it's like, it's, there's a lesson. You, If, you, if there's a, a band or artist you love, definitely see them live before either they they start putting out stuff that's not as good or their reputation is not <laughs> yeah. or they become a paedophile yeah <laughs> um with madonna do you not think she's sort of geared up perfectly to do the legend slot at some point in uh, glastonbury i know she'd be quite expensive and would, if her ego would it. allow it yeah it would be weird if she didn't i think you can imagine that would be she must be a, a absolute gimme for it maybe it is ego maybe if you're her well, I don't know. People look good doing that, don't they? Because it always gets raved about and it's often overshadows. Donny Cash. No. Donny yeah. Parton. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's got headlines slot written all over her, I would have thought. Yeah. But she's 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 lined up for Furfest and... Uh, yeah, and we that, don't have a legend slot because we only do have the three acts, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Wednesday, you say we've got more guitar music. Who's taking the stage? And Johnny, are you going to have a guess? Are you going to? Do you have? I can see by your face you might. I mean, it's only. No, I don't. I, I don't know. Only based on I, the conversation we've had. In fact, I'm not going to guess. We tried to do that uh, with Glenn Moore, and it just didn't work, did it? It's not easy yeah. because there are a lot of um, there are a lot of acts I like, and in fact, well, yes. Yeah, so my my favourite band is not very well known Canadian band called New Pornographers, and I love them. <laughs> times in mostly well, a couple times in North America a couple times here and I know all of their songs all of this I'm a real fanboy but I, I don't want them closing the festival because for a start a lot of people don't know them and it, again a case of chatting over it and stuff like that and also um, they I think would not enjoy the pressure of it I, I follow the lead singer on Twitter he talks quite a lot about the about their status as a sort of mid-level band and how he's sort of all right with that. So I think I'm putting them in as a surprise guest on the Sunday, like, uh, the well, the Wednesday, like you sometimes get. Nice. And then, like, some people won't even know about it or be there, and that's basically just for me. Uh, <laughs> but then, um, yeah, my my festival closing set is R.E.M. actually. Now, Andy, did you hear about this one? Tell me how you locked in the pond 
liked them a lot. And I, again, they were sort of formative bands for me in the 90s when I was first getting into music. And I, I have seen them, but it was only the ones, and it was at Glastonbury in, I think, uh, 99 maybe. Is um, they played Glastonbury, they've headlined Glastonbury twice, and I was there for one of them. I loved them. And it was one of my great, one of my greatest nights in a field getting like lightly drunk watching you. I was quite close. We'd pushed to the front all this, the stuff you have the energy for when you're 19. <laughs> Just reasonably close. To, now again, Michael Stipe is a weird guy, and how he'd feel about being brought into my parents' house. In the <laughs> I don't really know. Um, but also, it involves the band. They obviously have officially broken up, and they haven't played for at least ten years. It must be. So, and I often think about: Will they get back together? A lot of bands you wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want. To, you'd rather have the memories. But with them, because I only ever saw them once, and it was not even in a, in a venue as a festival. There's a bit of unfinished business. I'd love to, you know, um, but I imagine if there was, if they reformed, there would be enormous interest. And I, yeah, they were going for a long time. The fan base is big. A lot of people don't like them, but the people that do are pretty. That's what, so basically, I'm not sure I'm getting in if they reform. <laughs> um, with this, I probably am realistically. I also, I, I, um, I, you know, internationally renowned band. Uh, so you want to you want to build up to something that's going to be, you know, that there's got to be a there's a certain hype around that, that well, in our case, Wednesday night. Yeah, well, they, they um, I, I think another thing you say, like, about them getting back together, like, again, um, I think because they went into, they retired when they were fairly old anyway. Yeah. So I feel like it wouldn't make much of a difference if that you wouldn't be like, oh, it's a cynical or sort of, you know, a cynical reforming of them. It's just like... Yeah, you know, we've right. seen them look like this already. Sorry, oh. that's right. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be that weirdness of like or, Stone um, Roses, for instance. Where the, yeah, exactly, that they were young happen. and then they were very old. Yeah, no one wants to see that, and you also don't want them to be uh, old enough. That, like I've seen that I saw the Rolling Stones. My one and only time was at again at Glastonbury when they same played. in 2013. Yeah, and it was yeah, that's right. It must have been. It was it was good and you know fun everything, and it's it was very fun exciting and there's no doubt it's exciting because you're in a field with these guys that are like have been legends 50 years but there's a slight sense of like what these are really old guys playing rock and roll now like and it's great and everything but they've also been doing it too long so you've got your satisfaction you're jumping jack flash and you're like it's almost tiring to think how many times they've played those songs so i don't you know whereas rem the guys i guess are in their 50s they've been playing a long time but they're still not they're not, they can't be bored of it in the way that the Stones must be on some level. So I think yeah. it's in the sweet spot. Yeah, you've got to be careful reforming bands. You don't want them to be reluctant to do it. No, no. I mean, no. like people are still trying to get ABBA together every couple of years. You hear that someone's offered them a, but they'd be doing it. They've made it clear they don't want to. So I think it'd be miserable to watch like the ABBA of today doing it. Yeah. Whatever. Like That's them, like Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, they always get that sort of. Every couple of years, they're supposed to be doing Glastonbury, and then Fleetwood Mac sort of reemerged with like a sort of half a lineup. Well, that's the other thing you, you don't want them to. I mean, REM had gone down to a three piece by then, but you, you can probably get them all back together. You, you don't want to see something like. I mean, I do like Fleetwood Mac, but I think it'd be weird knowing that hardly any of them used to be in Fleetwood Mac. So yeah. yeah. This feels like it's in a sweet spot. You probably can get most of the band. I don't mind some eccentric set choices from them because they have got a huge number of songs to choose, but they'll still do basically most of the hits. They're not going to, they're unlikely to throw anything near in or, you know, so it feels like a good compromise. Yeah. And also they can probably afford to 
fly straight out in a helicopter or something. <laughs> so I don't have to worry about accommodation for now. <laughs> we prefer it can get back to Wales easily the same way. <laughs> in the uh, tank. Yeah, and Madonna's only one person, so she can just... My parents would probably give her the room. <laughs> I'm so excited that R.E.M. have been picked. This is the first time anyone's even mention them oh, forgot, and yeah. they're one of the bands that i thought would like tommy said super fairy animals are one of the, the bands that he absolutely adores but has never seen rem are probably my equivalent of that in that yeah. they are just such a great band but limited opportunity to sort of there was not really that much limited opportunity but they do play if they play a uk date it was like london somewhere and it was effort to go to it uh, they yeah, are until that Glastonbury, I, I never got near a ticket really because they'd be playing. Also, I was a bit young, still playing arenas. They played at something like Milton Keynes Bowl or something, and you can't really do that when you're 60. So like part of the reason we went to Glastonbury that year was a feeling this might be a rare chance to see them, but we didn't know how rare because they they didn't tour much in this country after that. And then they're like, I don't think it's impossible that they'll reform and do a kind of a tour. Yeah. It's also not impossible that like doesn't give a shit about that and is just like making films now and all this he's the sort of bloke that has a lot of interests and might well have no interest in ever i follow um mike mills on twitter from rem and he he talks a fair bit about the band and stuff but there's never any real hint that they and i can see why much better to never do it than to do it in a disappointing way they don't need to do that but it's not and it's also but on the other hand like you say like it's not like sports people, like bands, bands and actors when they retire, rarely do they ever just retire. Like, you know, who's uh, who's the famous actor who's off of um, oh, Daniel Day-Lewis? He's retired, isn't he? But you don't trust he'll him. probably do a film again, right? Yeah, I remember when Phil Collins said he was retiring. I suppose he had a, he had a medical thing or something. Yeah. There's reasons why you might. But no, you're leaving it open, aren't you? If you're... It must be tempting as well to... Uh, me and my partner went to see Supergrass earlier this year. No, oh, I did too. Just just before the pandemic in in February twenty twenty. Exactly. In our case, even even closer to the pandemic. I think it was it was here at Alexander Palace in London, probably just the start of March, and it was in that weird bit where you were like, "Can we do this?" Well, I guess we can. It seems fine. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it was great. And there's no doubt when a band is still when they've been away for just the right length of time and they're still good. The songs have this retro quality, but they yeah. can still all really play. It is great, yeah. And they still look good. They, they sound, and here's Gaz Coombs' voice. I think as, I went the day after my 30th, 26th of February, 2020. And like you say, it was that weird time. And I suppose more so for you guys, but, and oh my God, his voice yeah. is just, it's, he's almost got better with age. <laughs> Had it really well. Also, Danny Goffey doesn't even look any older. He's still noticeably. So yeah, there's a joy in watching a band that have come back because they really. Well, I don't know what Supergrass motive might partly cast, but they seemed like they properly wanted, like they loved being in front of the crowd. They did, yeah, yeah. Um, and and they, they still look cool as well. Yeah, and I think it might. If it went well, REM would be like that. They would have the thrill of like, oh, we yeah. still are a massive band. But again, as you say, leave it ten years after that, and it becomes more like. 
well, why are you doing this? Did you just have to? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm so so glad REM have been picked. Yeah, That's I think it. it's going to be. I'm looking forward to this happening there. You made my, us both my, very happy. One of my favourite things about REM, and I I can't remember if I said this before, but just before Kurt Cobain passed away, Michael Stipe and Kurt Cobain were working on a new music project together that obviously never got heard, and I would I love not to know that. love to know what that was going to be. I think be Co- Courtney Love tried to get them to uh, combine their their talents to do something. But there's no, I imagine no one, the music isn't out there. There's nothing that exists. No, but I would love to know what it was. That'd be amazing. Me too. I can't really imagine a, a, that. Um, and I didn't know that either. There you go. Bloody hell. That's a, that is a lost project if ever there was one. <laughs> and one, la- one last question before we uh, sum it all up. Uh, are the diverse stripes invited to play on any days? <laughs> I've always seen you do cool stuff. I try my best, but it's never. Good enough. Well, I guess, I mean, to be honest, <laughs> Nish is very in demand and he's also uh, an absolute shambles administratively. So I reckon I mean, getting Nish in, booked in is almost as difficult as Madonna these days. <laughs> but if we can pull that off, then surely, yeah. Maybe we do, we just do our song as a as a support set before REM. That would be nice. It's the same. <laughs> Probably the same genre of music. I reckon people would go for that. So it's you between, uh, you've got new new pornographers. The new pornographers play a load you. of afternoon set. Then there's a bit of a gap. Then we come on. Yeah. Uh, just do one song. Then hopefully <laughs> Michael Stipe has to go on and thank us. That would be enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tommy, do you want to run through what Mark's festival is looking like? Yeah. <laughs> Mark Watson, your, your fest is in your parents' garden in Bristol. And... For camping, what was what was the name of the place? Sorry, the big green place in Bristol. Oh, the, the Downs. Yeah, that's okay. that's just an alternative accommodation thing. So people can come there over the Madonna, who's going to be staying in your mom and dad's room. I think so. Um, and we're calling it Fur Fest after the uh, incredible Super Furry Animals. It's a Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday festival. Monday, it's none other than none other than Super Furry Animals headlining. Tuesday, you've got Madonna doing her greatest hits chronologically. Wednesday, you've got the new pornographers. Then you've got, followed by that, you've got Mark and Nish. Followed by that, you've got Michael Stipe thanking them. And it's R-E-M. Mark Watson, thanks for coming on your fest. Uh, yeah, Thank you very much. much. Well, I'll announce general sale as soon as we got the link. <laughs> I would, keep I an eye on Mark's Twitter. I would advise people to be as quick as possible, yeah. Keep an eye on the Twitter. <laughs> for the five people. Yeah, it is going to be, the server's going to be sagging a bit, I think. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that, mate. Thanks a lot. That was episode 35 of your fest with the wonderful Mark Watson and something for Tommy with the Super Furry Animals, something for me with R.E.M., something for everybody with Madonna. Incredible episode all around, Tommy. Yeah, it was surpassed superseded met every well just brilliant bloody brilliant as you heard by the episode uh uh an incredibly lovely man and it was nice that his uh his partner got involved a bit when we were talking a bit about michael jackson there and it was just a lovely experience and as you say to have super furry animals and rem in one episode that's you know, hypothetical dream festival, White Whales, right there, my friend. 
I'm surprised REM haven't been picked before. Like last last year on my Spotify Wrapped, "Find the River" by REM, which is the last song on uh, Automatic for the People, was I think two, number two or three on my most played tracks. So very yeah. excited. That and "Half involved. a World Away" by REM. Uh, Sugar, I can't remember what album it's off, but "Half a World Away," not "Half the World Away" by Oasis. "Half a World Away" was in my top ten or fifteen tracks because it's on a really good screen uh, scene on Scrubs, uh, and it's also a brilliant song. So there you go, people. Some uh, two lesser-known REM songs that you can go and listen to now. And Tommy's recommendation for this week is a little-known American sitcom called Scrubs. So <laughs> you go- Your fetch recommends all the niche but- things. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please go and leave us a review on iTunes. Go and listen to our previous 34 episodes. There's some fantastic guests in there. Uh, you can follow Mark on Twitter at Watson Comedian. You can follow YourFest on Twitter and Instagram at YourFest Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter, but it's against the law to follow me on Instagram at Johnny Gabriel. And you can follow Tommy on Twitter and Instagram at Tom Andrew Stew. Now we're off to go and watch Scrubs and listen, <laughs> listen to, to R.E.M. <laughs> See you again next week for episode 36. Bye. Love you. Bye.